coming up. He's been depressed. All of a sudden, he can't do anything. Why are you depressed, Alvy? It's something he read. Was the Big Bang the first event, or simply the first event that we can know about? The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything, and if it's expanding, someday it will break apart, and that will be the end of everything. If there was no one there to hear it, how could there have been a Big Bang? What is that your business? He stopped doing his homework. Can we meaningfully ask what happened before the Big Bang? A Big Bang is an event. Events occur in time. So how can the Big Bang create time? Our guest is Catherine Fries from the University of Michigan. The Big Bang, before and after. Coming up on Philosophy Time. Hi, I'm Ray Briggs. And I'm Josh Landy. Thank you for downloading this episode of Philosophy Talk. Did you know that we've got a library of more than 500 episodes over at our website? Yeah, at philosophytalk.org, we question everything. Except your intelligence. From Aristotle to Zeno, from anarchy to Zen. Become a subscriber today at philosophytalk.org. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years. 40 wonderful years, my friend. Now today, we're thinking about the Big Bang, the before and the after. This is the third episode in our wonderful series, A Philosophical Guide to the Cosmos. They say the Big Bang gave birth to the entire universe, Ken. That must have been a hell of an explosion. Well, you know, I think technically it wasn't actually an explosion, John. Huh? Why not? Well, because think about an explosion. That involves a rapid expansion outward from a center, like when a bomb or a grenade goes off, and, and you get matter and energy being thrown outward in all directions. Well, that's, that's just how I imagined the Big Bang. But it couldn't have happened that way. Not, not literally. That's because notions like outward or center only apply to things that happen in a place. But as I understand it, the Big Bang actually didn't happen in a place. Huh? Where did it happen then? Nowhere. There's no place where the Big Bang happened. Come on. Everything happens somewhere. That's what we call in philosophy a priori. Yeah, but everything subsequent to the Big Bang, it's true. that's true of everything subsequent to the Big Bang. But it's not true of the Big Bang itself because the Big Bang, as I understand it, is what created space in the first place. Look, space is just there. And then things happen in it. They don't create it. Well, no, you know, you're thinking like Newton. That's what Newton thought. He saw space as sort of like this infinite, pre-existing, absolute container that encompasses all matter and is eternal. But that's not how modern science thinks of it. Oh, that Newton, you know, he had a lot of common sense and grew good apples, too. But put your modern fancy physics aside for a second, Ken, and ask yourself philosophically where space could possibly come to an end. What would be on the other side of the end of space? I believe that's one of Kant's antinomies. It was one of Kant's antinomies, but that's the wrong way to think about it, John. Says you. Look, even modern cosmology says the universe is expanding, right? Well, yeah, that's true in a sense. Well, if it's expanding, it's got to be expanding into something, and that would have to be pre-existing empty space. Yeah, well, okay, strictly speaking, I think physicists might say to you, the universe isn't really expanding in that sense that you mean. Not, not exactly. It's more like, it's more like, I don't know, it's more like it's stretching. Stretching? <laughs> what does that mean? Does space belong to a gym? No, no. It means that space is still being created, even 14 billion years after the Big Bang. And you know what? As I understand it, it's being created everywhere. It's being created between galaxies. It's being created within solar systems, even within atoms. The only thing that keeps atoms from flying apart is the strong forces acting in, in, there, in there and resisting this thing. That's why everything in the universe is getting further and further away from everything else in the universe because there's more space being added all the time. Well, I get it. Well, I think I get it. Actually, I don't think I get it, but let's shift gears anyway. Cosmologists also claim that there was no time before the Big Bang. Does that mean that just as there was no space, no place where the Big Bang happened, 
There's also was also no time at which it happened. I don't think that follows at all because they say the Big Bang happened some 13.7 billion years ago or so. So there was a time when it happened. Well, how can that be if there was no time? Well, the Big Bang, I think it's sort of like the Big Bang is the, like the absolute zero of time. It's the point to which all timelines in the universe converge. Ah, there's point zero in time. And it's also the point before which there are no other times. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, it, 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 nothing's colder than absolute zero, and nothing happened before the Big Bang. But it raises the question, didn't something have to cause the Big Bang? What would that be? Well, why couldn't there have been a cause of the Big Bang? You got a problem with that? Well, causes precede their effects in time. Unless it's like God, but I don't think physicists are claiming that. If nothing preceded the Big Bang, where did it come from? Where could it have come from? I'm not sure that scientists know the answer to that question. That's a good question, but I don't think they know the answer. Well, I'd say it's not just that they don't know. How could they possibly know? When we reach for explanations beyond the Big Bang, aren't we reaching beyond the limits of science? Well, I'm not sure that follows, John. I mean, maybe, maybe it's true that our old familiar concepts of space, time, and matter, which maybe aren't so familiar, and even cause and effect break down at the Big Bang. But, but those aren't just any old concepts, Ken. I mean, I think Kant called them transcendental, a priori. Those are the very concepts that we use to construct a world out of our experience. I mean, humans, including scientists, can't know anything once they throw away those fundamental concepts, can they? Uh, but, you know, one thing science is really good at, I mean, we've already proven that, it's good at thinking up strange new concepts to help us better understand things that at first seem utterly incomprehensible. That's what science does. Uh, I think I would take a different perspective. I think, I think science is good at coming up with strange new concepts that make things utterly mysterious that before they got into it made perfectly good sense. You, so you don't think science can solve all the mysteries of the universe? So would you prefer religion, perhaps? Well, not necessarily, but not necessarily not. I think there's a lot of wisdom in religion. It's been dealing with stuff that's really hard to understand for a long time. There might be some wisdom there. So I'm not ready to place all my chips with science. Well, you know, I'm not sure I share your, your, your hesitation there. But I do know that there is a lot to ponder here. Well, to give us even more to ponder, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantare, to track down the ultimate origins of the universe. That's quite an assignment. Yes, it was a long trip, but Shuka made it back, and she files this report. In the beginning, there was a big bang. It all started with a big bang! It probably sounded nothing like that. We don't know what it sounded like for sure, but here's what we do know. After that initial bang... A sea of neutrons, protons, electrons, and other trons were flying around space. A very tiny space. A millionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a second after the Big Bang, our universe was contained in a region smaller than the size of a single atom. Lawrence Krauss is a physics professor at Arizona State University and author of A Universe from Nothing. He says as this tiny universe cooled, it reached a temperature where atoms were created. Nine billion years later, we had the sun and planets and solar systems. Fourteen billion years later, we have us. Krauss thinks there's two main theories for what came before the Big Bang. The first is nothing. There was no space, no time before that, and it suddenly popped into existence. If that's the case, then all these classical ideas about causality go out the window. Krauss says you can't seek a cause for the Big Bang because cause and effect are elements of time and time may not have existed before the Big Bang. Physics forces us to change the, our understanding of things, and it may be to understand the origin of the universe. We have to give up, up these notions, these quaint notions like cause and effect at the, when it comes to the beginning of time. He says the idea of having no cause for the Big Bang may seem classically ludicrous, but it's not. Take quantum mechanics. The notion that a particle can be in two places at once seems ridiculous. It seems to violate all logic and common sense, but that's the way the world works. And so it seems impossible to imagine that the space that we inhabit could somehow not have existed and then suddenly existed. So that's one theory of what happened before the Big Bang. The other is the possibility that there are other parallel universes all around us, that we live in a multiverse. 
Some of these universes are spontaneously being created right now, while others are collapsing. It could be that the multiverse is eternal; that there, that it'll be around for an infinite amount of time. There may be an infinite number of universes. Cross says the only way we'll learn more about space isn't through speculation alone, but through observation. These questions won't be resolved by a priori notions of what's sensible or classical logic. They'll be resolved by exploring the universe, and nature will be the ultimate arbiter of what is sensible and what isn't. Scientists say after the initial Big Bang, the universe expanded, and many believe it will continue to expand forever. The space between galaxies will grow farther and farther apart, and no longer be able to sustain life. Then we'll have what's called the Big Freeze. But don't worry, humans will be long extinct by then. And with that happy thought, I'll hand the mic back over to John and Ken for Philosophy Talk. I'm Shuka Kantari. Thanks, Shuka, for for clearing all that up. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, while we're waiting for extinction, we'll talk a little more about some of the details. I'm John Perry. With me is my fellow Stanford philosopher Ken Taylor. And today we're thinking about the Big Bang. We're joined now by Catherine Fries. She's a professor of physics at the University of Michigan. She's also director of Nordita, the Nordic Institute for Theoretical Physics in Stockholm, where I think she's also a visiting professor. And she's author of The Cosmic Cocktail, Three Parts Dark Matter. Katie, welcome to Philosophy Talk. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Katie, uh, I think that there are probably even fewer people studying dark matter and the origins of the universe even than are studying philosophy. So how did you decide you wanted to devote yourself to studying these hard, deep, and esoteric questions? You know, people often ask me that, and it's, it's not a linear question. There, was a lot of, there are a lot of pieces that went into it. But one of them is that, well, I went to an all-girls high school that didn't offer any physics. I hope that's changing. But <laughs> then, yeah, then, so I went to a, I, I took a summer school class just out of curiosity in, uh, at Exeter High School in New Hampshire, and at the beginning of this physics class, I thought, oh, my God, this is as hard as they said. But I, then I realized, yeah, but I'm also good at it. And at the end, we got into Einstein's relativity. And, ah, my mind just went, whoo, this is so cool. And I also realized if I'm going to actually understand this, then I'm going to have to learn a lot of mathematics. I'm going to have to learn a lot of physics. So that led me in the direction of majoring in physics in college. So that was, that was a really important piece in, in my decision to go into this subject. Uh, well, I, something very similar happened to me. I, I studied a little physics, and I went, wow. It came to Einstein's and went, wow. If I'm going to understand this, I'm going to have to understand a lot of math. And so I majored in philosophy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the other major that I was interested in. But uh, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't live without the math, honestly. Well, I really wanted to do math. Philosophy's loss is physics gain. Now, in our <laughs> opening, Ken claimed that the Big Bang wasn't exactly an explosion. Well, I've always thought of it as an explosion. I admit no one was there to hear it, but I think most people think of it as an explosion. Can you give us a better picture of the Big Bang if it wasn't an explosion? What was it? So what, what we mean by it is just that the very earliest times in the universe, you had a primordial soup of particles, of quarks and electrons and particles of light and, and dark matter particles, and they were all really, really packed tightly together. They're interacting with each other constantly. And then, as time went on, the universe started cooling off and expanding. And then, because as it cools off, then some of these quarks got together to make atoms. And as time went on another million years, then you start making stars and galaxies and, and all the structures that we see in the universe today. So what we mean by, the, by this hot Big Bang is the universe started out really hot, and it's been cooling off and expanding. But, and, but that expanding wasn't, like, sudden? Like an exp it, I mean... I always thought of it an explosion too, and then I read. I was getting ready for this show, and they said that's a that's a poor metaphor. The metaphor of an explosion. It sounds from what you said. I don't see. I don't quite see why it's a poor metaphor. Cause no, it's it, it, there. No, there wasn't any explosion. In fact, I don't know if you know the origin. The origin of the terminology, the Big Bang. There was a scientist named Fred Hoyle who invented that term, per, with, with making fun of the concept that I just right. described ah, because. I see. He, he didn't like the idea that if you extrapolate backwards, then you have to have some kind of beginning. He thought, he said, he, was, he, he didn't believe in God, and he said, that's ridiculous. There's no God here. There was no beginning. And so he instead had an eternal universe with matter appearing, 
constantly throughout eternity, more stuff appearing. Is that what they call and a steady state theory? Yeah, so he, this was a pejorative term at the ah, beginning. Ah, okay. I get it. But let me ask you this. So I also try and get my head around this. There was no space. But you said there were all these, this stuff densely packed. Densely yeah. packed means, sounds like it means a lot of stuff in a little space. I mean, how oh, much yeah. space was there in the beginning, before the Big Bang? Was there any space at all? Or were this thing like at a point with no extension? So if we if we go backwards in time and we take all of this stuff that's now spread out and we go back, uh, push it on top of each other, squeeze, 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 squeeze. Yeah, sure, everything that is in this room is going to contract to a point. But what if the universe is infinite, which we think might be the case, okay? So if you take an infinite universe and you squeeze it more and more tightly, guess what? There's still something out at infinity. You're not squeezing everything to a point anyhow as you go back in time. So really what happens at the Big Bang is that things are so tightly packed that we don't have physical laws to explain it anymore. Our current knowledge of physics fails. Wow. We're, we're stuck. So that's, that's really what the Big Bang is. Yeah, I guess you'll all have to become philosophers. You're listening to <laughs> Philosophy Talk. Today we're thinking about the Big Bang, before and after. Our guest is Catherine Fries, author of The Cosmic Cocktail, Three Parts Dark Matter. Where did the universe come from? And where is it ultimately headed? Maybe modern cosmology can provide the answers. Or are there mysteries about the ultimate origin and fate of the universe that even our best science can't hope to solve? From the Big Bang to the Big Crunch and all points in between, when Philosophy Talk continues. Look at that bunch of cows. Not bunch, John Heard. Heard of what? Heard of cows. Well, of course I've heard of cows. No, no, a cow heard. Well, what do I care what a cow heard? I've got no secrets from cows. <laughs> but it's no secret that Philosophy Talk depends on donations from our listeners to help keep us on the air. So go make your donation at philosophytalk.org now. And question everything. Except if you heard it from a cow. Well, if not only modern physics, but the bare-naked ladies tell us that the world started with the Big Bang, who are mere philosophers like Ken Taylor and I to disagree? I'm John Perry. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. We're thinking about the Big Bang, both the before and the after. Our guest is Catherine Fries, professor of physics at the University of Michigan. Now, K Katie, th th this is a mind-bending stuff, the Big Bang and everything related to it. And I'm a philosopher, and I love mind-bending stuff. But i got to tell you, as a philosopher, I'm used to just thinking up mind-bending ideas from my armchair. <laughs> uh, you physicists, though, you, you have a lot of mind-bending ideas, but they're supposed to be based on observation and experiment. So what? Look out at the universe. What observations? or experiments lead you to conclude that it was all crunched together and started in this Big Bang? Well, you know, I'm a theorist, so I'm, I'm, I'm an armchair person just like you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but mo so most of the ideas we have get thrown out. But this one, the Big Bang, this one's basically right. And I mean, it's not complete, but it's right. So the f the f there's people talk about three pillars of the Big Bang, and these are observational pillars. So the, the, uh, the one that was first discovered was... Well, Einstein wanted a static universe, but in 1929, a man named Edwin Hubble looked out into the universe, and he was actually the first one to prove that there are galaxies outside the Milky Way, and then he studied them, and he looked at atomic emissions from those galaxies, and you, you know what those atomic emissions look like, but guess what? By the time they get to us, they're stretched, yeah. and there's only one explanation. The universe is expanding. So this was, this was 1929, there was this major discovery, and then Einstein had to abandon the static universe. So, so wait that a minute. was pillar was, number one. It wasn't, I want to just slow down for a second, the pillar number one. It wasn't until early in the 20th century that anybody even had the idea that there was stuff beyond our galaxy, right? They thought the whole you know, universe was our galaxy? Isn't, isn't that amazing? So in 1915, you've got Einstein's relativity. So theory was like exploding. But on the observational side, yes, people still thought that every bright object out there, every star, whatever, they all thought that was still inside the Milky Way. Then there started being speculation maybe there are island universes. Mm. And in, but it wasn't until in the 1920s 
that the discovery came that, well, some of these things are just too far away. They've got to be outside our, our own galaxy and that there is something beyond what so, our Milky Way. So this, this sounds like a great discovery and well worth naming a telescope after him, which I guess we did. Yeah, the Hubble Space Telescope. Okay, but that's pillar one. There are things outside our galaxy, and they're rushing away from us. That doesn't yet get you to the Big Bang, though, does it? That just gets you to... It's a big universe. It's growing. Then what? Yeah, well, that's expanding universe. And then the, the second pillar, it's called the Cosmic Microwave Background. This is the leftover light from the Big Bang. So from uh, this hot early days when all these particles were hitting each other, they were interacting with each other, and that includes the particles of light, which are called photons. But then at some point, when the universe spread out enough, those photons stopped bumping into anything else, and that was 400,000 years after the Bang. And we see those photons today. They come all the way to us today without hitting anything. You're, you're and, giving me now. Look, look. You're giving me the theory that explains it. But how did they get from the observation to ah? I mean, what? So what did they? Okay, observe so that, that was the yeah, that was the theory. And then it was in the 1960s. There's two guys at Bell Labs, Penzias and Wilson. They were they got a giant radar dish from the military, and they were, wanted to study radio waves from I don't even know what. And so they got this hiss, this signal. They're like, ah. what is this? They're scraping out pigeon excrement out of their dish. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and then then at Princeton, you've got these guys building radiometers because they wanted to test for this light from the Big Bang. And the phone call goes in between these guys. They're only an hour apart. And ha-ha, the Penzias and Wilson had discovered the microwave background, and they won the Nobel Prize for the microwave background. So, so the microwave that's, background, that's the way it goes. The microwave background was first heard as a hiss, but it's really photons that are kind of at the edge of the expanding universe and so far away that they don't, I don't run know. into anything. I don't anything. know what the word, I don't like the word edge, no. It's from oh. a time. <laughs> yeah. and it's, it, was, it was a time in, in 400,000 years after okay. the bang. So, But so, they're, they're everywhere, these photons. They're going through you right now, and they actually in old TVs used to cause static. So uh, now, tell me if I got this right. I mean, I'm no—I'm a philosopher, not a physicist, and I, I haven't done physics since college. But was t- one of the things that leads to the idea of the Big Bang is that they look out at the universe, and the microwave radiation is everywhere, and it's not shifted. Is that? I mean, I mean, we're, we're, I still—how uh, does that add up to the Big Bang? It has something to do with the background radiation being everywhere. Yeah, or something. Yeah, it's everywhere, and and. You had to have that hot early phase to produce these to, that gave rise to these photons that have exact that look exactly the way they do in our telescopes. So they have something called a black body distribution. Your oven also radiates in a black body. So hot things have they 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 have a certain shape, and so this microwave background has exactly that same exactly that same shape. So okay okay let, I'm gonna get into some sort of philosophical. Well, we still ahead. got the third pillar to go. Uh, right? Haven't we gotten to all three of them? Have we are we missing a pillar? Yeah, we're missing a pillar. Oh, what's the third? The third pillar? one. The third. The third one is it's it's uh, it's called Big Bang nucleosynthesis. Y- you know, this was when I was in grad school. At first, I thought no, sorry, when I was an undergrad, I thought cosmology was science fiction. Ha ha ha! But boy, was I wrong. So in early grad school, I heard about Big Bang nucleosynthesis when the universe was three minutes old. There were predictions for how much helium you should make, how much lithium you should uh-huh. make. So before three minutes, you just had neutrons and protons. But at three minutes, they all merged together to make more complex elements. And 25% of atoms should be, in hel- should be helium-4. 10 to the minus 10 should be lithium. And you go and measure this, and it's right. So the fact that you're making the predictions from three minutes back come out right, that's pretty, that's pretty good news for the model. Well, that's, that's pretty fascinating. That's pretty fascinating. You know, but there's a bunch of things that I understand that uh, the Big Bang theory still has i mean you studied dark matter right yeah where does that yeah, come from yeah. and how's that get into this big what does dark matter and all that have to do with the big bang well so here we are supposedly in the era of precision cosmology but guess what we have one big conundrum what is the universe made of so those <laughs> this, yeah right yeah. so uh we don't understand 95 percent of it that's a big one so though although all the stuff we know about like your body your chair the air you're breathing Stars and planets, all of that is made of atoms, and all of that atomic stuff only adds up to 5% of the universe. What the heck is the other 95%? Dark matter and dark energy, and, and we're trying to figure out what those are. 
And there have to be those. Now, I understand that there have to be those, according yeah. to you guys. Because according there to was, data. According right, to right, huge right. amounts of data. Otherwise, yep. the unit, you couldn't explain, like, why there are galaxies and all this. I mean, this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what holds the universe together. And also part of what explains why, how it can be expanding. Is that right? Well, the dark matter is, is so m- anything that has the word matter in it, that feels gravity, so it, right. it attracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what makes up most of our galaxy. There's probably billions of particles going through you every second. So that's on the matter side. But then dark energy, that's 70% of the universe. And that causes, you know what? The universe is not just expanding. That expansion is accelerating. And we don't understand why that is. That's dark energy. So that's causing that acceleration. Uh, okay. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. We're talking about the Big Bang before and after. We've got a caller, Michael, in San Francisco. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, Michael. What's your comment Hi, or question? Hi, thanks for having me on. No problem. What's Hi. your comment or question? Oh, uh, so I had a question regarding the origin of elements. So I'm a student of biology, and I just took a year of physics. Was there a certain order to the origin of elements? Like, are they appearing in the order of complexity or atomic mass or anything like that? I don't know. Catherine, Katie, was there an order to the creation of the, uh, the elements? Yeah, yeah, there was. So the, 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 at first, every, there were just neutrons and protons, and, and whenever they stuck together, they'd get blasted apart again. But eventually... When things cooled enough, then you'd have a neutron and a proton merged together to make one object called deuterium. And then deuteriums got together to make helium. So you started with the smallest things, and they got heavier and heavier. But in the Big Bang, you only got as far as still pretty small stuff, lithium, and then you're stuck. Mm. To, make anything, to make anything heavier, you need, believe it or not, even higher densities. And so they had, you had to wait for stars. So yeah. all the stuff we're made of, carbon, nitrogen, and all that, that didn't happen for millions of years, and way after this primordial Big when, Bang when, nucleosynthesis. When did this Higgs thing come into it? The Higgs boson he's asking about. <laughs> yeah. The, is that a different topic? That's a different topic, but we can talk about it. It's very cool. As I understand it. So look, the Big Bang is not just, res- without the Big Bang, there would be no space, there would be no time. I mean, we think of these, intuitively, we think of these things as eternal existences of some kind. That's a common sense intuition that Newton seems to share. But you guys say, no, that's the wrong way to think about it. Also, matter. Think of matter as, like, fundamental. But it seems to me, if I understand you guys right, there wouldn't have been matter without the Big Bang and without the Higgs field and the Higgs boson and all that stuff. Is that right? Okay, so now we're talking about going back before the Big Bang, which oh, but you, we, so far we, when we're talking about the three pillars, we're talking about real data and real understanding. And we're this, if you think about it, since antiquity, people wanted to understand the origin of the universe, what is the nature of the universe, and everybody had a creation myth. And in the ni- in the nineteen twenty or whatever, there you get a new creation myth, the Big Bang. And guess what? It's right. So the last hundred years have been so mind boggling. But but we're stuck. So if we try to go back before the Big Bang, and yeah, now we're talking speculation. Can science do something going farther back? Absolutely. Right now we can't, but people are sure are trying. So <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. So the Higgs boson takes us before. Uh, how does that take us before the Big Bang? I thought, I thought that gave rise. The Big Bang, the Higgs boson, was like one of the products of the Big Bang. Am I misunderstanding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking about the origin of space and time, but yeah, the Higgs. There's we have um, we have what we call the standard model of particle physics, and we understand all the the basic particles that make up atoms. We understand all of that really well. And the one missing ingredient was the Higgs boson, which is what gives the mass to all the other particles. And so in, in, in 2012, the, dis- the, the Higgs boson was finally discovered, and that was like, that's it. Now we really understand a, a lot of the, the standard model of particle physics. We still don't know what dark matter is. We don't know what dark yeah. energy is, but we do, we, know, we do know the atomic side of things. Here's something else I discovered in digging into this topic and trying to get ready to talk to you. Uh, this notion of imaginary time, what's that? That's a mathematical idea. So, yeah, ordin- yeah I, don't, I don't. That's going to be a tough one. So we have three. As far as we know, we know about three dimensions of space, There's and we know and one dimension of time, and we can oh, actually yeah. talk about distances in, as a combination of space and time. 
And, but when we do that, there's a minus sign in front of the time component, okay? So space is treated a little differently than the time. And what you can do is, is you make a mathematical transformation. So instead of the minus sign there, you go to imaginary time, and then you get a plus sign in front of all the different terms. Yeah. So, so, so it's just a mathematical construct. So, so suppose somebody were to say a mathematical construct. So what you're really saying is that there's been all these creation myths, and we got a new one, and this one has all kinds of mathematical language. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. But when you push comes to shove, you don't understand 70 to 95% of the <laughs> universe. That? And yeah, yeah. the numbers you use true. don't really make any sense. Well, you know, you want to comment no, on no, that? No, 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 it's not my on. view. I'm just saying know, that know, know, somebody know, might know. say. No, I'm I'm saying that this that our our idea of hot Big Bang is right. So this hot yeah. early universe that's expanding and and this there's, there's, that's that's a, that's huge progress. Yeah. It's well, uh, we've got a caller on the line, Margaret from Berkeley. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, Margaret. Thank you for taking my call. Going back to dark matter and dark energy, I was wondering, are they called dark because we don't understand them, or are they called dark for some other reason? What's the origin of that nomenclature? Good question. Well, the, the, uh, the first people to use that terminology was, believe it or not, that was already in the 1930s. There was a, I just learned about a Swede, this guy Knut Lundmark, who was one of the original discoverers of dark matter. And, well, I'm not going to tell you all the names of the people involved, but the, uh, the, what they meant by dark is it doesn't give off light. So you, if you look through your telescope, you can't see it directly. But what they noticed is there was, there was mass, there was like inside a cluster of galaxies. You'd see some galaxy whizzing around. And, and according to Newton's laws, something has to be pulling on it to speed it up. Mm. So they said, okay, so it must be some kind of matter, and it's not giving off light because we don't see it, so they called it dark matter. So that's what dark really means. It just doesn't give off light. Well, that seems like a pretty good thing to call dark if it doesn't give off light. They know it a lot about dark. It was actually German dunk, dunkle materia before dark matter. Was, that's what's the original. Yeah, I have a question about dark matter and dark energy, though. Uh, does, I mean, when we say it's dark matter... I mean, what makes it matter? I mean, it's not part of atoms and all that stuff. In what sense does it matter? Is it matter in gravity. the sense? It's uh, got gravity. Uh, so it's it, got gravity. It, it exerts gravity. And we know it, it must pulls, be. It pulls on things. That's how we know it's and there. And we know it. And you guys know it must be there. You're confident yeah. that it's yeah. there. It's not just a speculation. Yep. You're confident that it's there. You know it must yeah. be there because there isn't enough non-dark matter in the universe to hold it together. Is that? Is that? Well, like in our own, in our own galaxy... You have stars and gas that are moving in orbit around the center of the galaxy. And well, even, even our own sun is moving around the center of the galaxy more quickly than can be explained unless you have some other matter that's pulling on us, speeding us up. So that was, that was the, the original discovery of dark matter from, from the way it pulls on things. But since then, there are there's so many. It's like a puzzle and all the pieces fall into place. So one of the other ones is dark matter may not give off light but it bends light. This is also from Einstein's relativity. If you have some star way, way far away and, it, and it, you're looking at the light, well, if there's matter in between that distant star and, and us, then it's going to get bent by the dark matter and it gets bent and sheared and you get multiple images. So dark matter is, that's one way to look for it. And so that's another way you know something's got to be there. You're listening to Philosophy Talk. We're thinking about the Big Bang with Catherine Fries from the University of Michigan. Current science doesn't seem to be able to fully explain what happened before the Big Bang. Do we need some new science? Or should religion step in to do a better job? Or should we resign ourselves to the idea that solutions to the ultimate mystery of the universe will forever elude the human mind, or at least until the human mind is gone? Grasping the great beyond when Philosophy Talk continues. Ken, each day, millions of people go to sleep hungry. Hungry for new ideas, John, for new approaches, new thinking, and new philosophies. Where can they turn? That's where you, our listeners, come in. For a small donation to Philosophy Talk, you can help feed that hunger. For the cost of one cup of coffee a day, you can help keep Philosophy Talk on the air and online. Go donate now at philosophytalk.org. And help feed the world's hunger for thought. Well, 
I don't know what the Big Bang actually sounded like, so I can just imagine it as a Joe Cuban Latin boogaloo. I, by the way, am John Perry, and this is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. Our guest is Catherine Fries, author of The Cosmic Cocktail, Three Parts Dark Matter. And we're thinking about the Big Bang before and after, and we've got a caller on the line, Milton from Oakland. What's your comment or well, question? Yeah. Oh, hi. I can't possibly wrap my round my mind around before the big before the big bang in other words i can't conceive of no time no space no matter and i don't think a physicist can do that either it's if it's theoretical i can't even do that um but that goes back to the Creator. It seems to me that in this Judeo-Christian belief system, the Creator with a capital C, there was nothing, and then the Creator created all the planets and everything else. I don't see any difference between these two concepts. Well, Milton, let's put that to Katie. Katie, are you? would you agree with Milton? I bet not. Woo, well, I can say that. I would say that throughout human history there have been things that people didn't understand. I'm imagining myself in, I don't know, the year 1000, wondering what's causing those trees to make those weird noises or whatever. And, of course, it's probably some storm or something. And I think that's still true today. I think that science can go a lot farther than we have so far. So going back beyond the Big Bang means we have to have a, a theoretical understanding we don't have. So how does gravity merge together with quantum mechanics? We don't know how to do that. So gravity, the, the fundamental theory of gravity, that's a deep unsolved problem, and I think, we, I think science is going to get somewhere with that. So right now people are trying string theory. They're trying a lot of extra dimensions. A lot of different ideas are out there, and just because we don't have them yet doesn't mean we're not going to get them. But on the other hand, no, no matter how far back you go, there's, you're going to always be able to ask, and what came before that, and what came before that. So, I, you I, know, it's a tough one. I'm a little bit sympathetic to Milton's point of view, but I, I think it has to be weakened quite a bit. I do it in two steps. Uh, the great philosopher David... Oh, and now here comes our philosopher. Uh, yeah, the great philosopher <laughs> David Hume uh, uh, said that, uh, you know, he accepted the argument from analogy for God but he said the God we knew about didn't amount to much. Uh, he said the cause or causes of the universe bear some remote analogy to human intelligence. Well, now a couple hundred years later, we can go further. We understand human intelligence could have evolved from uh, matter and so forth, but we've reached the limit again. So maybe all we can say, maybe all physicists should say at this point, is they believe that the, the, the whatever came before the Big Bang must bear some remote analogy to the stuff we're familiar with after the Big Bang. Well, but I, I want to add something here, though. I, I don't know. I don't know, John. I think I'm not, I'm not sympathetic to Milton in the same way, but I am sympathetic to a little element of Big Bang. But I think science is really about this. I mean, some explanations are completely satisfying and some aren't. And an explanation that just says, well, gravity is a fundamental and has a certain, uh, uh, there's a certain gravitational, the, the, the effect of gravity is this. I mean, that's not a completely satisfying explanation. And you want to know, well, is there something explain the size of gravity? I mean, the, the, you know, the, the gravitational constant. Is there something explain why the speed of light is, uh, you don't want 26 fundamental things that can't be further explained. You want as few fundamental things as possible. And the urge, I think science is born of the urge to get to how, 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 how far can we get with explaining. Uh, would you agree or agree, disagree with that, Katie? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with that. I don't, I, we're not done yet. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're stuck at the moment. But there's some great young mind is going to come along. I mean, the Einstein of the future, is, or or maybe it won't even be as hard as that. Some, I think we're, we're there's no question we're going to we're going to do better. We know what we need to do. We know what what kind of theory we need. Einstein was trying to have a unified theory where you have all the forces you, uh, understood together, and and we've gotten we've got all the other forces unified. Gravity is still the holdout on, on just on the theoretical side, and. So I, I, think, I think that's coming. I'm, I'm sure it's coming, and, and that'll really free up a lot of, of these questions. Now, well, but, I'll, but, let me give you an example, okay? So what if the universe, according to string theory, the universe doesn't just have three dimensions? 
It has 10, okay? So, and these other dimensions might be tiny and curled up, and that's why you don't see them. Or they might be extended, but our kind of matter can't go into those other dimensions. So what if our universe in a 10-dimensional what if it's a 10-dimensional space out there, and the thing, the part that we live in is a three-dimensional surface? It's like the head of a drum, but somewhere else is another three-dimensional surface. And what if those three-dimensional surfaces smashed into each other, and that heated things up, and that was the Big Bang? That's an idea. Yeah. I mean, we can't test this one yet, but plenty of good ideas out there, and there will be more. So I want I want I want to make my case for Hume, though. I think the the what Hume contributed at his point in time was to say, look, okay, all you religious folk, I'll give you that it seems like there must be some cause for the order in the universe, but let's be careful about what you attribute to that. You don't need to attribute to it all the things that Christianity or any other religion uh, attributes to it. You don't have to attribute a moral plan. You don't have to attribute to it concern, particular concern for humans. And I think philosophers maybe can make a contribution like that now. Look, we have a feeling that it doesn't make sense to just start with the Big Bang, but we have to be careful about attributing too much to what we know about what must have happened before the Big Bang. Maybe philosophers can help sift through that. Well, I think you're right about Not that. Not me, but some other. No, I think you're I, right I, about I, that. I, 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 yeah, I, I, agree. I totally agree with that. I think the people, when you, when you use the word God, and you have to ask, okay, what do you mean by that? Do you mean mm -hmm. the prime mover? Mm -hmm. Is that uh, as opposed to some moral... A entity yeah. that's judging us, judging us or helping us right. or that we can pray to. These are two completely different things in principle, right? That's yeah. what you're saying. I, yeah. I totally yeah. agree So we've got, we got another caller on the line, Keith in San Francisco. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, Keith. What's your comment or question? Briefly. Thank you. Uh, two brief questions. Uh, first, I'd like uh, our guest to discuss uh, dark energy and the big rip theory. And secondly, I'm curious if uh, the value of high is due to the curvature of space, and as the universe has expanded, uh, if the value of pi changes over time. Oh, no. Thanks I, for the question. I memorized it to 240 <laughs> places. I hope it doesn't change. Oh, <laughs> did you really? No, of course not. <laughs> so dark energy and the big rip. I didn't, I've never heard of the big rip. What's the big rip? Well, so... so it's it's so bizarre the the idea that our our universe is ex is accelerating. Okay, so that has some interesting consequences. That probably means that in the uh, long term, if you just extrapolate ad infinitum into the into the future, which you know it's a guess that you can do this. Well, that means is that we are headed towards the big chill or the big freeze. And now my last name is Freeze, so there you go. It's the big yeah. freeze out there. <laughs> Everything gets more and more spread out right. as time goes on and, and pretty boring, and it gets really hard for life to exist. So there, that's a separate debate that we could talk about. But anyway, but there's, there's a kind of dark energy that's even more extreme. They call it phantom energy, and... Mathematically, it's it's a very it's very uncomfortable because it's kind of does it violate energy conservation? We're not sure how to handle that. But it's even more extreme. It even rips apart black holes. It rips really everything apart. So the universe is even more chilled out. Uh, so more I was wondering. See, I was wondering about something <laughs> about this. So they say there's more and more space, right? Being created. That's why things are. Mm, I, I, no, I don't like that. It's more like, like it's being stretched. It, no, well, it's more like it's being stretched. Well, it's being stretched, but it's not being stretched into some antecedently existing space, right? No, no, no. So, it's just moves. It's it's a it's a solution. You know, I, I always get stuck on this because it's a solution to the equations where things are things are being moving apart in yeah. as a solution to the equations. Okay, but, that, but that here, doesn't mean anyway. Oh, so galaxies are getting further and further apart, and the rate at which on they're the getting, average, not yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah. And the on, rate on the at which average, they're on yeah. the average getting further and further apart, accelerating. Uh, but I was wondering, mm -hmm. what about uh, medium size and tiny things? Are they getting stretched? Too? I mean, as space stretches, mm, do, are, are atoms stretches? stretched? Yeah, I don't <laughs> feel stretched. <laughs> and if you measured something today and you <laughs> measured it a thousand, thousand years ago, wouldn't it be the same size? I mean, so is this happening okay, so, on a small scale as well as the large scale? Uh, no, it's not. We, where we are in, inside our galaxy, there's so much gravity and so, well, so much mass, thanks to the dark matter that we have, that we're self-contained. So our gravity wins and we don't feel the stretching. So that's why, uh, it's, I don't know, you know, East Coast, West Coast, maybe they should be stretched more apart. I don't know, but <laughs> it doesn't happen. In so the, is there tension, though, between the stretching force and the and the containing force? I mean, if we could measure them, would we say, oh, it just balances out so that things like us aren't getting stretched, but there's still this, you know, stretching 
I think when there's too much dark matter, you get a politician. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, is the is the effect there and just being counteracted, or is there no effect? Is what I'm wondering. So I don't think this. The uh, gravity is a force. The stretching, the stretching. As far as we know, it's not a force. It's something that happens fundamentally to this to the underlying space. So they're slight. There's they're they're a little bit different, but yeah, it's true. If you you can ask, okay, if I at what point does gravity overwhelm the right. stretching that goes on? So yeah, that's that's not a bad way to look at it. So okay, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure out how I should think about things like I mean, you guys, you f- and gals, you physicists, <laughs> you, you all this is second nature to you. But I'm an ordinary person. I look out. I see t- space. I feel moving through, t- you know, myself moving through time, aging and all that sort of stuff. I mean, is this stuff real? I mean, is it really something that is created? out of? I mean, it makes no sense to common sense. It boggles common sense imagination. So how should we you know, get our common sense minds around this stuff? Okay, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, my mind went off in different directions. So I'm going to tell you, if you don't like the aging you're doing, so go off in a rocket ship at the nearly the speed of light <laughs> and come back. And so, Ken, you would have aged a lot more in, I mean, in the meantime if you stayed here on Earth, you know. So if you want to, so if you, you, this is one of these relativity paradoxes. Yeah, this is that if you're going fast enough, then the aid, then you, this is then, uh, you, so let you, me ask you, you a question. Go forward in time. Let me ask you a question about that too. Then, and so if John were moving really fast and I was not moving slow relative to him, and we measured the age of the universe and we charted out the history of the universe, what happened when and what sequence and what was, would we agree about the history of the universe? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Every it all, it, yeah. No. The, the things that happen, they happen the same, and no matter what reference frame you're looking at them in, mm-hmm. the time at which they happen, you might put your clocks would read differently, but the facts of what happened would always be the same. So, so, so even if you went off on a rocket ship, your your body would still, you wouldn't feel any different. You'd still age in the same way. It's just that the people on Earth would age more quickly. So I, I, I draw a couple of comforting morals from what you've told us. First, that uh, uh, we can slow down our aging as soon as we get the right rocket ships built. And secondly, galaxies... Well, not really. Your, <laughs> your cells are still going to age uh, at the same speed. It's just that when you uh, come back, the, the, everybody else will look old. Well, that's good. <laughs> and uh, the galaxies, for the most part, are, are getting further apart. So one thing we don't have to worry about is another galaxy smashing into ours. Oh, no. We're going col- to collide with uh, oh. the, ne- the nearest big neighbor, Andromeda, oh, okay. M31. And we're, we're going to collide. But well, I, I wouldn't worry about it in our lifetime. Okay. So, so you have nothing nothing to comfort us. On that comforting, <laughs> on those non-comforting uh. thoughts, Katie, I'm going to have to thank you for joining <laughs> us. This has been an explosive conversation about the Big well, that Bang. Well, that was a lot of fun. So thanks. Thanks so much. Our guest has been uh, <laughs> Catherine Free. She's a professor of physics at the University of Michigan, visiting professor of physics at Stockholm University, author of The Cosmic Cocktail, the three parts dark matter. And you can listen to other episodes in our new series about the cosmos by visiting philosophytalk.org. Uh, this conversation, this deep conversation, continues at Philosopher's Corner at our online community of thinkers, where our motto is get this cogito ergo blogo. I think, and therefore I blog. And you too. You too can become a partner in that community just by visiting our website, philosophytalk.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at PhilTalkRadio. Now let's hear some bang-up thoughts from Ian Scholes, the 60-second philosopher. Ian Scholes, one of the things I thought you're not supposed to talk about is what happened before the Big Bang, because it's not knowable. This always made me wonder, what's the difference then between saying, in the beginning was the Big Bang, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? God or no God, things began, the Big Bang banged, and here we are. What's the diff? Atheists, secular humanist physicists keep wanting to take faith away from the whole equation, but they're begging the question, sort of. In a recent Salon interview with cosmologist Sean Carroll, he said, quote, The universe might have had a beginning or might have existed forever. We just don't know. There's certainly no reason to think that there was something that caused it. The universe can just be, unquote. Did you hear that? The universe is and was and evermore shall be. Maybe, who knows, why ask? This is just the sort of thing that gives physicists such a bad reputation. No beginning? Then what happens to that whole cause and effect thing? Not to mention the first law of thermodynamics, which clearly states you can't have perpetual motion machines. Not having a beginning would certainly be an integral part of my perpetuity. When I was 11 and I first learned about the perpetual motion machine and impossibility thereof, I immediately resolved that I would make one. How hard could it be? The only reason nobody had built one is that naysayers had said it can't be done. My friends and I had many interesting notions involving pulleys, gravity, anti-gravity, inertia, pushing, and certain magical substances, not yet discovered, it must be said, that would power this machine in much the same way atomic energy would fuel the future without the radioactivity and the Cold War part. 
Of course, we all quickly gave up on these plans because we couldn't get enough popsicle sticks to make the prototype, and we went back to pointless fistfights the way God and the Big Bang intended. The point is, sure, now I understand that the material world is just an illusion, or at the very least, a magical trick of perception held together with photons and glue. Go down deep enough, and you may eventually conjure a thing that is also not a thing. Quanta so entangled, it's all this and that and the other coming and going at the same time. Who knows? Energy and matter mingling together, switching places as the mood strikes. Okay, fine, I'm just another wiseacre with a word processor, but I get it. Still, I must say, a world without beginnings doesn't seem like it's going to make me any money. Or if it does, how would I know? Because I'd already have it, wouldn't I? Another theory has it that the Big Bang is just a pothole in the road of existence. We hit it coming in, and if the theory is right, we'll hit it again coming back. Though, of course, in a world without cause and effect, forward and back would be the same. But again, this is nothing new. As Augustine pointed out, back when we had God, God created time when he created the universe. So technically, there is no before. We are all living in an amazing special effect. Is it yet yet? Well, not yet. i got to go. Philosophy Talk is a presentation of Ben Manila Productions and the trustees of Leland Stanford Junior University. Copyright 2016. Our executive producer is David Demarest. The program is produced by Devin Strolovich. Laura McGuire is our director of research. Dave McAllister is our director of marketing. Thanks also to Colin Peden, Merle Kessler, Erica Topit, and Mark Stone. Support for Philosophy Talk comes from various groups at Stanford, the Friends of Philosophy Talk, and the partners at our online community of thinkers. And from the members of KALW San Francisco, where our program originates. Support for this episode comes from the Templeton Foundation. The views expressed or misexpressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of Stanford University or of our other funders. Not even when they're true and reasonable. The conversation continues on our website, philosophytalk.org, where you too can become a partner in our community of thinkers. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking. How long have you and Thorne hated each other? You can write down since before the Big Bang. Oh, no, there was no before, before the Big Bang, because time didn't exist. If there are no organizing properties... Okay, Bones, I'm just going to write down it's been a while. Holy mackerel, you're still listening. You must be a big fan. You should become a strategic partner. Donate $250, get lots of cool benefits, help keep the program on the air. Yeah, but really, any amount helps. Thanks for listening. Thanks for thinking. And thanks for donating.